Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> a homework assignment for you all. Go home, get your Bible out, and turn to John chapter 5 and see if your uh, Bible has verse 4 in it. It's not a trick question. Most modern translations now leave out verse 4. So you're reading your Bible, and all of a sudden you have verse 3, and then you have verse 5, and you go, my gosh, these Bible companies don't know how to count. But verse 4 um, gives an explanation for the, the, why this, um, this pool of Bethsaida was a place of healing. It was thought or believed that angels would, would flap their wings and stir the water up. And if you were the first one into the water, you could be healed. Now, kind of nerdy biblical stuff is that people, you know, we looked at different um, early, early, early translations of John, and most of them did not include that explanation of the angel, which is why we don't have it in most of our modern Bibles. But, but there was something about this place that people would come for healing. There were some who believed that this story was invented by John because for a long time there was no proof that there was this pool of Bethsaida. In the late 1800s, an archaeologist was doing excavations and found um, the pool. And, and by the, the mid-20th century, they had fully um, unearthed it. And what they found was is that not only did Jews gather there as a place seeking healing, um, but also pagans and, and, and other folks. The story marks Jesus' first appearance in Jerusalem. And when Jesus goes to Jerusalem, he doesn't go to the temple, which you might think. I mean, right? I mean, John tells us that he's going there because there is this festival. But Jesus goes not to the temple to worship, nor does he go to maybe some of the palaces of the, of, of the wealthy and well-to-do in Jerusalem. Jesus goes to the place where the sick and the lame and the broken were gathered. And he doesn't just go to where the sick and the lame um, are gathered. He goes and he finds the guy who has been there the longest. John tells us for 38 years he has been coming to the pool to be healed and has yet to receive his healing. Now if you want to be depressed... Just simply think back what 38 years ago was. In my mind, 38 years ago is like, you know, um, the other day. And then you sit there and you go, okay. Um, did you know that um, um, Jason Alexander in Seidfeld was 29? Right? So that's, that's like nine years before, like, this guy had been there, right? Um, he's been there a really long time. And his life is a miserable life. He is in pain. We don't know what it is that he's afflicted with. But he's afflicted with something that doesn't allow him to live life fully. Or at least in his mind what a full life is. 
We all probably know someone, or we may be that person who has afflictions in life that makes life difficult. We also probably know people who identity is derived from their life, from the challenges that they have. Jesus asks this man, do you want to be healed? And the man is like a politician and refuses to answer the question. He immediately begins telling Jesus all the reasons why he has not been healed. And Jesus is like, no, that's not my question. My question is, do you want to be healed? One of the things that can happen, I'm not saying that everyone who suffers that this is true for, but one of the things that we can happen in our lives is we can become so identified with our wounds that the wounds become who we are. And those of us who are on the helping side of it oftentimes just rely on telling people what it is that they need to do. Like maybe kind of like Job's friends, when Job is sitting there complaining about what's going on in his life and they begin telling Job what he needs to do and how it's his fault. How many times do you sort of enter into the, well, I'll tell you what you need to do stage when somebody begins to share what's going on in their life. The challenge with giving people simple advice is, is that advice is rather is almost always not simple, especially if you are in the midst of suffering. David Foster Wallace, who was this brilliant writer, who was this amazing mind, who was a great sports, uh, a great athlete, who, 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 who was a good-looking guy, he, he lived his entire life thinking that he was worth nothing. And he reflects on his struggles with his own mental illness in his book, The Pale King. And reflects back upon how his father rarely dispensed advice to him like other dads did. He says the challenge with giving advice is that the advice rarely does something for the advisee. Nothing changes inside. It can actually cause confusion when the advisee is made to feel the wide gap between what is obviously simple solution to the problem and the totally muddled way in which we oftentimes live our life. He says if you begin to get the idea that other people can actually live by clear, simple principles of good advice, it can make you feel even worse about your own abilities which I think my father recognized as the great enemy of life and contributor to nihilism. Right? This is the thing. We all know the things that we're supposed to do, right? The problem is actually doing them. We are oftentimes put off by self-pity in people. We sit there and go, God, this problem is so simple. Why can't you just do it? Brings memories of my own kids when it was time to go and they demanded that they put on the coat themselves. What should have been a 15 second chore, five minutes into it, they're still, no, almost got it, I do it myself. (laughs) 
Sick people often balk at getting healthy. You know how I know this? Because I'm sick. And yet Jesus goes right to that place and says, do you want to be well? Philip Yancey says that grace is like water that runs downhill in pools at the lowest parts of our life. Grace is like water that pools at the lowest parts of our life. Today's reading from Revelation, there's a section that's left out and it talks about how the sorcerers and the prostitutes and the fornicators and the thieves and the murderers, they're all outside of this city gate. It seems like there's absolutely no hope for all of those people that they are locked out of the new Jerusalem. And then, and then there's this amazing image of the water of life flowing from the center of the city and it goes out even past the gate to where all the ones we assume are blocked out, even to them, the water comes. Thornton Wilder, who may be best known for his play, Our Town, wrote a series, a seri a series of short stories, and one of the stories was based upon this pool of Bethsaida. A physician comes to the pool and he seeks to be healed and an angel blocks him from going into the water. The angel says to the physician, draw back. This moment is not for you. And the physician, the physician begs the angel, angel, please listen to my prayer. And the angel says, healing is not for you. The physician just gets, you know, gets even more emphatic. Surely, surely, you angels are wise. Surely, O oh prince, you are not deceived by my apparent wholeness. Your eyes can see the nets in which my wings are caught. The sin in which my, all my endeavors are half performed, they can't be concealed from you. And the angel says, I know. Well, the physician says, it's no shame to boast to an angel of what I might yet do in love service were I but freed from this bondage. In other words, the physician assumes that if I can be healed from what is afflicting me, then, then I can begin to serve. The physician says that it was such an hour as this that I was born Doubtably fearful to me as the flaw in my heart, must I drag my shame, O angel, all my days bowed more than my neighbor. Physicians wondering, really, is this, is this what is left for me? Is this all that my life is going to be? Heal me from this. And the angel stands in silence for a moment and then says this, without your wound, where would your power be? Without your wound, where would your power be? It is your very remorse that makes your low voice tremble in the hearts of men. The very angels themselves cannot persuade the wretched and the blundering children on earth as one human being broken on the wheels of living. And I love this line. In love service, the angel says, only the wounded soldiers can serve. And love service only the wounded soldiers can serve. This man, this physician in this story, thinks that the things that have afflicted him are an obstacle 
to him being of service to God. And the angel says, no, that the place of our brokenness and the place of our suffering are the places in which we can serve. Now, I am not trying to put lipstick on a pig and say that suffering really isn't all that bad. That is not true. If you have ever been through suffering, you know exactly what I mean by that. And it's not something you go, oh boy, I'm so glad I suffered. But when you have suffered, you can then bear witness to the possible healing and transformation that can also occur. To the woman who has lost a child to cancer can go and sit next to another mother and grasp her hand and sit in silence and pray. To the person whose loved one has dementia, they can go and sit with other people whose spouses have long forgotten them as well. To those who have faced various sorts of infirmities and challenges and things that happen in our life, in those moments, God does not simply say those things had no meaning, but rather that those things can be the places where resurrection is seen. When the disciples encounter Jesus in the resurrection, the thing that they want to see is where are your wounds? Isn't it odd? Isn't it odd that in the resurrection that the wounds remain? I think if it was up to me, if I was God, I think I would erase the wounds. Why remember something so painful and pitiful and scandalous? But the wounds are reminders that they will not triumph. We can pretend that they don't happen or that they don't have any meaning. But but for the person who suffers, it means everything. And yet, and yet God still has something for you to do. To heal, to be a healer, one must suffer. That might be the worst part of healing. 